I heavily recommend curiosity and a little bit of play because I think it is in those um, in those activities where we are being super curious, we're asking questions, we're learning, we're listening, we're not trying to forge something, but we're but we're listening. That can be really insightful. Welcome to Inside Out Career Design. In this show, we're obsessed with answering a single question. Is it possible to create an authentic, meaningful, and fulfilling life you love while building a successful and rewarding career? My name is Peter Axtell, and I'm here with Nicola Vetter. We're co-founders of the whatsnext.com Career Insights Platform and creators of the groundbreaking Motivation Finder Assessment. Join us as we seek to transform suffering into joy for millions of people stuck and confused in their lives and careers. We'll share our insights, discoveries, and life lessons and talk with career experts, leaders, spiritual guides, psychologists, data scientists, coaches, anyone who might hold a strategy or answer to the age-old questions of what's next for me and what should I do with my life? Get ready to be inspired, motivated, and above all, to connect deeply with who you are and what you're meant to do with the time you've been given. Are you trying to figure out what to do with your life? To figure out what to do with the precious time you've been given on this earth? or to figure out what only you as a remarkable and unique individual can bring into this world? If you are, please join us for one of our live and completely free online workshops where we cover different topics to help you figure out what to do with your life and career without wasting precious time, taking wild guesses, or risking it all. To save your spot in our next live and free workshop, go to whatsnext.com forward slash workshops. We can't wait to see you there. Again, that's whatsnext.com forward slash workshops. Our guest today is Mary Hendra. Mary is a mission-driven executive, entrepreneur, podcast host and creator. We were curious to hear why she deliberately stepped off the career ladder multiple times and how her playful and curious mindset has contributed to following what she loves. There are many ways to explore the idea of designing your life and career from the inside out. And one way is to nurture the idea of curiosity and play. By exploring the things that you are curious about and asking yourself, why am I curious about X? You open new doors you probably didn't think about before. And by visualizing the ideas you have and the questions you are asking yourself in a fun way, you get a new perspective outside of what you're thinking about. And that's why we couldn't wait to have Mary on our podcast. In our conversation, we talk about how living in the Soviet Union dramatically affected her view of the world and different cultures. Why she deliberately stepped off the career ladder, 
which offered her a secure retirement and certainty, and instead followed her curiosity. How she figured out what's next, when she had no idea how, and the methods she used to make decisions about what to do next. How curiosity with a little bit of play and listening deeply will help you figure out what to do next. How you learn to visualize and nurture curiosity and play. And now it's time to listen and learn from Mary. Mary, one of the big questions we're trying to answer here on the Inside Out Career Design Podcast is, what's next? What's next for my life, for my career, or even the bigger question, what should I do with my life? So we're curious about you, Mary. What were those moments in your life and career where you really had to sit down and had no choice but to figure out what's next for you? We call them what's next moments. Well, I've definitely had quite a few of those in my life. And I, uh, I can start with, with one, the typical one during college. So as I was graduating for, from college and trying to figure out what I wanted to do, um, first thing was like, oh, well, I should, I should do some of the interviews that were happening on campus. And, ah, uh, none of them quite fit. There were a lot of businesses and financial industry. And finally, Teach for America came and I was like, oh, like maybe this will be good. And I, I kid you not, within 30 seconds, the recruiter looked at me and said, do you like kids? I'm like, I, I don't know. Is that like a prerequisite? He's like, he's like, yeah, you know what? You should not be a teacher. You, um, you know, like, let's talk about what you might do. And we spent the rest of the 20 minute interview talking about other professions. Um, now I'll come back to that later because I did actually become a teacher at a later point, um, but it was a really interesting conversation. And the recruiter was right that it was not the right time for me to be a teacher. I was not in that space, nor was Teach for America the right program for me. So when I was getting near graduation, my number one things that I was thinking about for what's next were to join the County of Los Angeles, their management training program, or to go to South Africa um, for a program that was with a nonprofit. Um, unfortunately, that one started a little bit later and there were all sorts of caveats of, we cannot guarantee your safety if <laughs> you come <laughs> to this program. <laughs> and I had spent one semester of my senior year in college in what was then the Soviet Union. And so I had great compassion for my poor parents who had spent four months unable to reach their daughter um, and decided that I would um, save them, me immediately going to another country that could not, uh, could not guarantee my safety. During the, the time that I was in the Soviet Union, it was, it was fine, but it was in that mixed uh, in-between period when the Soviet Union had invaded what was then the Baltic Republics when they first tried to secede and tanks were still very present. Um, it was shortly after I left that the country completely fell apart and the Soviet Union no longer existed. So my parents did have have a cause to have a little bit more concern than just uh, their daughter going on a study abroad program. So I did decide to, at that point, 
save them the the angst and stayed very local and and started with the management training program for Los Angeles. Um, so that was the first time that I considered what next. So why did you choose the Soviet Union? Uh, uh, so this goes back to high school uh, because I, I do not have any Russian blood. It, it's not something that was ever part of my family or something that we really talked about. But when I was a junior in high school and taking unit, uh, U.S. history, my teacher at one point echoed what President Reagan was saying at the time, calling the Soviet Union the evil empire. And my little 16-year-old heart said, I can't believe the people are that bad. And I just, I decided I wanted to go there and find out and find out for myself by actually knowing the language and being able to live with the family. Now, this, this was in the late 80s, so it was very uncommon for a study abroad program to in, in the Soviet Union to allow you to actually live with the Russian people because it was so guarded what, what information could be shared, especially with Americans. So I chose my college based on a college where I could study Russian. I spent the first summer between my freshman and sophomore years studying Russian at the Monterey Institute for International Studies, um, which shared Russian teachers with the Defense Language Institute. They were very well regarded for their Russian language program. I lived in a house where we, it was all students who were studying Russian, where we had a Russian tutor who lived with us, who taught us how to make borscht. Um, he really like taught the culture as well as the language. Um, and I worked hard to find a study abroad program where I would live with a Russian family. So by the time my Russian was good enough and my, uh, my, my research had panned out, it was my senior year and first semester of my senior year in college that I spent in what was then the Soviet Union. Wow, that's really something. Given where they are at today, Mary, how has living abroad in the Soviet Union changed your worldview or the way you view the world perhaps differently? It's a great question, and and there are probably many ways that I'm not even as conscious of, but some of the ways that it has um, affected me. One is is really living life with the humility that I may not understand everybody and the culture and the experiences they have had, and so I need to ask, I need to be humble, I need to listen, and I need to be curious. Um, so that is something that I bring into wherever I'm working and definitely whenever I'm managing a team or we're collaborating with others, I ask lots of questions. I'm curious. I really try to listen for the experiences that others have had. I will also say that in the Soviet Union, there was a very matriarchal society and there were strong bonds between women. And that was really when I started developing stronger bonds with other women professionally. And, 
I went back uh, a few times to um, to Russia. So the first time was fall of 1990. It was the Soviet Union. I lived with a family that was mother, daughter, and then grandmother and great grandmother were living nearby. There were no men in the picture. It was four generations of women. And when I went back in 93, I was working for the Russian American Bureau on Human Rights. I was working on a master's degree in international public administration. So I was comparing local government in Los Angeles with local government in Russia shortly after the Soviet Union had fallen and there was a new constitution. Um, and I, uh, I lived with a, a bit of a crazy family in Moscow, um, but then returned to the family, my host, my original host family in St. Petersburg. Um, and in both Moscow and St. Petersburg had very close relationships with other women, um, much stronger actually than the first professional uh, settings that where I had been working in Los Angeles, where women were not always as nice to each other, but in, um, so this was now in 93 in um the in Russia like there was there were these strong bonds where women were helping each other out in really substantial ways um even escalating from the the strong bonds between women that I experienced in the fall of 1990 Did you have a sense that you were on the right track you were doing the kind of work that you wanted to do that things were going in the direction that you wanted i think at that point i did um and i will say like i later shifted and to me that's part of career progression is that we can change direction because we change our minds because we've grown in a different way um i mentioned the the teaching i did become a teacher uh, I left the county of Los Angeles after six years, which was unheard of at that point because they were like, no, at five years, you are vested in a county retirement and you're a lifer. People don't leave after five years. Um, so I broke all sorts of norms when at six years, I said, I'm leaving and I'm, I want to get another get another master's because right we can just stack them up on the wall I decided i wanted to, needed to go back to school get a teaching credential i got a master's in education but at that point i had decided that i i did want to become a teacher and it was for different reasons than people joined teach for america it was it was at a different point in my life. I had shifted. I would have been a horrible teacher right out of college. Um, but six years later, with some different perspectives and different experiences, um, including having become trained in and certified in mediation and leading victim offender mediations, right, I, I was ready for a classroom and for being a substantial role in young people's lives at that point. So you deliberately stepped off the career ladder, how you always say, right? <laughs> yes. Now, what what preceded that moment that you chose to deliberately go another path? 
So that was an excruciating one, I will say, because I was not sure what I wanted to do. I had, I had at about year five recognized I was not going to be a lifer with the county and I needed to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I had done the certification in mediation. I was doing victim offender me mediations. I, I actually considered the probation department and some of the justice work um, that that is um, so important in this country. and. Um, and I've been volunteering in various different things. Um, I volunteered actually for the Teen Abuse Prevention Project. We taught about unhealthy relationships and how to identify them and how to get out of them, how to start healthy relationships. So I had all of these things going on, but honestly, no idea what I wanted to do next. And I can still remember my dining room. I had all of the leaves in the dining room table. I had books from the library and the bookstore, the what colors your parachute and the, you know, all of the career advice you could possibly get. I had flip chart papers around the dining room. Every wall was plastered with these flip chart papers and I had yellow leaf, you know, lined papers with pro con lists. I had all of it and I was just miserable trying to figure out what to do. If I was in the room looking at the papers, what was written on there? What did you think to write? Uh, so I I wrote about different professions and what I liked, what I didn't like about it. I wrote about what skills I had and what kinds of things I'd done. Um, I wrote what other people told me I should do. <laughs> I don't remember what all of those are right now, but there were definitely like there was advice from other people. And eventually I started writing jobs that I applied for and tracking what other jobs that I, you know, might do that way. Um, I will say I had negotiated a shift along the way into a position where I really was managing a team because that had been something I really wanted to do when I, when I worked for the county, when I went there to work, um, and I had not yet done it directly. So at a certain point I negotiated that. Um, and I, Sure. Um, and, and I will say I loved I loved managing. I still love the opportunity to to really lead a team. Um, in that case, it was probably the funniest of my negotiations because I was young. I was, you know, early 20s. I didn't quite know what I was doing, but I had impressed a few people in a different county department. Um, and they were impressed because I could both speak numbers and words. So I could do budgets and I could tell people what they meant, right? The numbers meant something to me. Um, and, and I am a little bit shy. I'm, I'm very much an introvert, but I am nice to people. I like people. And so I, um, you know, I listen, I listen to people and I connect with people. So this assist, assistant director of the department had decided she wanted me to come back. And, and in, in retrospect, I am so honored because she was one of the highest ranking female executives in the County of Los Angeles at the time. Um, and she, uh, she appreciated what I was doing. So she knew she could hire about half a position and the administrative um, division director could hire about half a position. And so they came and said, you know, what would it take for you to come work for us? And, and I said, well, I, I want to manage people, right? This is, I started with the management training program. I want to be able to manage people. And so they said, okay, we can do that. And they, they literally like pulled three different people for me to supervise from other people 
who did not want to supervise those those individuals. <laughs> and I recognize that now, but I had asked for management. They were going to give that to me. And they, they said, well, we, there's certain things we want you to do. And so you know, we, we talked about that in different ways. They, the, this negotiation was happening at lunch in a booth. So we were sitting in this booth and they had, had positioned it. So I was in the middle and they were on each side. So I could not have gotten out of that booth if I had wanted to. Uh, yeah, like I said, I was young. I didn't really know what was happening over there. But they had positioned so that they were blocking the booth. I sat there and we and we talked through as much, you know, as as we could. What did the conversation sound like? What did they say? Do you remember? Uh, well, what I must remember is that first question. What What do we need to do for you to come and work for us? Right? Which is such a lovely question to get. Yeah. You know? Um, the negotiation tactic that I did not realize I was doing was that when all was said and done, I was like, okay, great. Uh, let me think about it for, you know, for a day or two. And, and I did that for myself. I, you know, I liked it. I think slowly sometimes it's, I, I wanted to have a few minutes to think, to catch my breath. Um, and then as I was thinking about it, they came back and said, well, how about we raise your salary? And they did that, I think, twice because that's what they thought was happening. Now, it wasn't. I just wanted time to think. But apparently, I've come to learn since that it is a really good negotiating technique. Mm. I just didn't know it's I not, was doing it. It's not always about the money, though, right? <laughs> no. No, no it wasn't about the money. And what For you me, didn't mention, these two guys had... I mean, they had big overcoats, you know, they, they look like refrigerators <laughs> with the head, you know, and they were on either side. You probably didn't have a lot of choice. That's a little known detail about Mary's story. Okay. I may have I remember made one was a woman. One was the one oh. of the top ranked female executives in the county. Okay. I, I made that story up for anyone who's listening to this. I, 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 I admit that. Yes. You talk a lot about negotiation and how did you get involved in negotiation, get interested in that? Uh, so I mentioned mediation. Um, so the the salary or the, the career change um, going to the department was a, a negotiation within that, but I mentioned um, mediation. And so mediation, the, the area that I practiced was really um, conflict resolution, victim offender mediation, where an young young people under the age of 18 had had actually committed a crime that had had a negative impact on other people and as a way to divert them from permanent records getting in juvenile hall ending up in county institutions um and really to in as a way to treat them with human dignity and recognize that each individual like we make mistakes and we can learn from mistakes and we are stronger as a community together, right? Mediation it was a, a way to be able to bring the victims and the offenders together in the same room and very deliberate, deliberate, uh, very deliberately create the space for them to hear each other in ways they had not previously done. So it takes a lot of listening and it is creating that space for um, for everybody to come to a resolution that they all feel good about. So Mary, the main question that we're trying to answer on this podcast 
is it possible to find an authentic, meaningful, and fulfilling life you love while building a successful and rewarding career? How have you navigated those two parts, finding meaning and paying the bills? So for me, it hasn't usually felt like a conflict between the two. I have found things to do that are meaningful and that that get paid their employment. You know, not the highest paid professional, but my my career has included working for county government, working as a teacher, working in nonprofit management. Um, I do I do now have my own business as well, but I am really helping individuals and teams who are struggling through a painful transition, find greater clarity so they can take action. And all of that is meaningful for me. So um, so I am so fortunate that I've been able to each time follow my curiosity and make sure that I'm um, looking deeply for the ways that I can contribute, that I can show up in service um, and that have some kind of, you know, compensation for, for doing the work that I want to do. How do you suggest that people that are searching for what's next in their lives could build cl that clarity and take action and move forward with grace, right? That's your, your tagline, especially during stressful or painful transitions. So there are a few things. One is uh, I I heavily recommend curiosity and a little bit of play, because I think it is in those um, in those activities where we are being super curious. We're asking questions. We're learning. We're listening. We're not trying to forge something, but we're but we're listening. That can be really insightful, and. And recently I've been doing a lot more research around play in professional spaces. And, and it, it is so consistent that when we allow ourselves to be in a, it, with a playful mindset, when we allow ourselves to play a bit at work, then, um, or with work, play with ideas, play with scenarios, right? That's part of where we show up as our authentic selves. And, That is, for me, what is most important in making a transition that you can be happy with. Because you're, if you're showing up as your authentic self, you are more in tune with who you are. So let's imagine there's a person who wants to make a transition. They want to move up or they want to advance their career. Let's take a, how you would take a case study to incorporate this amazing idea of play and curiosity with some of the anxiety of making a transition or experimenting. How would you take somebody through that? Give me a, put me inside your world. That'd be really fun to know. <laughs> well, I can share one thing that I, that's really fun. So for me, play and curiosity are in part like visual and um, I call it like kinesthetic, but using your hands to create things. So um, if you were to peek inside my journals, you would see pages like this. 
that are like paper and words written together. Oh, that one's a fun one. Well, for those who can't see it on the video, there's a beautiful, large 8x10 journal with all these drawings and stuff in there. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so so I, um, I have found that one of the things that uh, uh, actually the doctors Amelia and Emily Nagoski talk about in their book, Burnout, is that when we are experiencing stress, we are actually experiencing two things. There is the stressor that is causing us anxiety and, and discomfort. And then there is the physical stress that gets caught up in our body. So for that person that you described who is experiencing the stress of knowing they need to move and not knowing what to, to do with that, um, I recommend starting by literally physically ripping paper up. It can be your junk mail. It doesn't have to be anything precious, but ripping paper apart uh, physically helps your body get rid of some of the stress. And then even if it is that junk mail and being able to uh, do what Ethan Cross talks about in chatter of distancing from your thinking, right? You can take those physical pieces you can paint them if you want to, you can just crumple them up, whatever it is, but then rearrange them on that paper and on your journal. And so you seem, you've seen my journal, I have all sorts of stuff stuck in there, right? Just glue, gluing stuff in there, rearranging, letting your mind wander away from that stress because you've let go of the stress in that, in that cycle. Um, let's you distance enough to, to, to notice different things where are your where's your eye gravitating towards so if even if it was the junk mail there might be a word that gravitate you gravitate towards a word you notice a phrase you notice phrases that come together once you reposition them on the paper um if it's color you may have realized like oh i picked all of these really bright reds or i picked greens why did i pick greens right what is that showing to me or how do i feel about that whether it's color or words that physical or that distancing from your thinking and then observing it in a different way lets you or you know tap into your own kind of intuition and your own understanding in a different way um and i mentioned that like for me knowing for those two, those two like flanking managers in that in that seat or in other times, right? Knowing what what was important to me was the most important way to be able to move forward. But when we don't know that, we need some kind of strategies to help us get to that point where we are are more in touch with what it is that's important to us. So that's one one concrete way that I sometimes will do. Even you know now, if I'm stressed about something, I don't let me just start with ripping up some paper. Let me move stuff around. Let me try and figure out what's going through my head. That is, a, I have never heard of that before. That's a fantastic strategy to turn off your fearful, logical, mm -hmm. and get access, I assume, a whole different part of your, your mind. What has Play said about what's happening with the stress chemicals, cortisol and all the stuff, the fight or flights? How is, what's the research on Play, how that helps people to reduce their fear, I guess is what I'm trying to yeah. say. Uh, this is a great question. And there are a number of people who really dive into the neuroscience of it, who could tell you more on all of the different chemicals and what's happening, because there is a chemical process. Um, for me, what I know is that play 
allows us to be in a space where it is much lower risk. So if we think about all of the cortisons going on and the, the different chemicals in our body when we are highly stressed, part of it is it's shutting us down because we feel so risky. We feel so vulnerable in that in that place or in that moment. Um, when when we are successfully in that state of play, right? We're we're curious. We're open to learning. We do not feel that same level of risk or vulnerability. We can fail because we're just playing, right? Um, and that's, that is a great space for actually learning. And you've called this uh, transformational journaling. I do. Now, how has it transformed your thinking? Mm. Uh, so I will say that for me, um, it has been uh, it has been what allowed me to reclaim my own voice. Um, when my father passed on, um, I was not expecting it, and I had been in a pretty good state, like professionally and personally, lots of good things going on. And I'd been writing a lot. I was really, you know, enjoying a lot of different things, and when my father passed on, I, I honestly felt like I lost my voice. So I'd open my journal to write and stare at an empty page for half an hour. And then I'd close my journal and I put it away. Um, I was doing everything I could to help my mother and my husband and other people in my life. Um, it was continuing to, you know, work full time and manage a team and do all of that. Um, and, um, it took about six months before I was like, you know what, let me forget the writing. My dad and I had painted together. Let me paint. Let me rip up paper. Let me, when I do finally write, like the first times that I wrote, I literally, as soon as I was finished writing, I crumpled it all up, tossed it. Um, and that was how I reclaimed my own voice at that point. Um, and it was what then allowed me to make next career transitions. It is what allowed me to, um, to really listen to the team that I was managing. Um, at the time I was teaching about some really difficult subjects for other teachers. And it's what allowed me to stay centered in in joy and in love and in the, the the humanity of people, even when teaching about really difficult topics. Uh, so um, I, I believe you'd asked out, like changed my thinking. And I will say one of the things that I believe is that we think not just in words, that we think in imagery and color and in physical movement. And it helped me um, tap into all of those more fully and it uh, and it allows me to to think in all of those spaces where I'm able to create and enjoy and move uh, and listen. I think this idea of play has got to be very important for the current crazy world that we are living in, which seems so overwhelming and fearful and it does seem like a a whole bunch of events all happening at the same time. I really like this idea about play to help us all be a little more optimistic. And what do you think about that? Yeah. 
I, I think that it's uh, definitely can help us be optimistic. It can also help us build empathy. And I think we really need that in today's world because so often we see people as opponents or as competitors, or we see them as inhuman because we don't understand their opinions or their beliefs. And when we play together, we see each other in a different way. We see a more authentic, we fail together. We can celebrate successes. We can try things in different ways. And, and play helps us uh, understand the, the stories of people. Um, play isn't just physical play or a game. Play includes storytelling. It includes travel. Um, it, it includes really just living with that mindset of curiosity and creativity. Uh, and, and you really get to know people in a different way and, and build empathy when you are creating together, being curious together, learning from somebody. Um, so I think it's, I think it's powerful for today's world. How do you teach somebody to be curious? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I think we are naturally curious. So part of it is tapping into maybe the the natural curiosity that we've forgotten about. When we think about young kids, right? Our, our question uh, questions just come forth, right? Why, 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 right? Um, as adults, we sometimes get jaded. We sometimes think we know, right? So. Um, Surprise is one of my favorite things for helping people learn about curiosity. How do we create the conditions to be surprised? How do you create the conditions to be surprised? <laughs> now, I want to know this. <laughs> oh, um, so it is it, sometimes for me, I, it includes like putting prompts in with a surprising ending, a story with a surprise ending, um, or it, it, it may include stopping in a story saying, what do you think is going to happen? Right? So that we recognize our assumption before we get to the end and are like, oh yeah, I knew that was going to happen. Right. Um, and so that can, that can be the case with it. Um, I love helping people be surprised um, and curious at their own creations. So I tend to work with people who do not consider themselves artists or artistic or creative. I love those people because they are all, all they are all creative <laughs> in their own ways. They just have bought into the notions we give in our society that only professional artists do art. But really, all of us play with these artistic tools if we let ourselves. And so taking somebody who thinks they are completely uncreative and not artistic and putting um, putting an art supply in their hand. I, I love gelatos because they're kind of fancy crayons and they're really fun. Um, so I put a gelato in somebody's hand, not the ice cream, the art, you know, crayon material. And, and I say, just, just, just draw. Just choose a color you like and just draw on the page. And we we mess around with like little moist wipes and and a little bit of water or just blending with our fingers and we create different colors and and say so like you're you're not creating an art piece to put up in the Louvre. You're just drawing, right? 
you're just trying you like squiggles and soon enough they are laughing um and they're surprised at something and us often it's someone who's like I didn't think it was going to look that good. And it's not that they're, it's not that they created a masterpiece. Honestly, it's that they created something. They used color in a different way. Their journals are usually black and white. And now they have this like burst of color and it brings up a different emotion for them. Right? And anytime we have that little like pause, it gives us space to breathe, to ask a question, to be curious, to be surprised. How important is community in that, that whole process of creating, of being curious? You are very big on, on building com compassionate and engaged yeah. communities. So I'm wondering what's your take yeah. on that? Yeah, uh, for me, it is integral in the process. Although I will say there are times when having a little bit of alone time and individually creating can be very centering right but the com the community serves a different purpose community is where we can surprise each other we can encourage each other we can celebrate together um there <laughs> i love books you can <laughs> tell so i will mention another book and that is um the extended mind um in, the extended book, mind the extended mind it's right here. Um, Annie Murphy Paul wrote that book. And one of the things that I love is she talks about how, um, just as I said, like thinking is not always in words. She said the mind and the, the activity of the mind, the activity of thinking is not just in our head. It's in part in interaction with the things and people and places around us. So when I build community, in part what I'm doing is building a more creative, thoughtful, thought-provoking space, because I'm creating this space where you can think with an extended mind, not just with your individual like brain inside your head. Okay, I'm imagining our audience now, and they're asking the question, I think, well, how how do I even find a community? How would I build a community? Where could I get yeah. the support I need? Where would I even start? What would you advise people? Start with who and what is around you. It's interesting how, I think especially in today's world, we think we have to go out there and find a particular community, whether it's the community we, we want to network with for a future profession or industry or um, you know, some other achievement we might be looking to make or a community of peers or community with a common hobby, that uh, people are all around us. Right? And if we start to notice the people around us and listen to them, who are they? What do they need? What do they care about? Um, we start to build those bonds of community right with us. You are a big proponent of volunteering as well, which is also doing work in community. When did you first volunteer in your life and how has it changed you? Mm. Uh, yeah, it's, it's funny because I am, I, um, I, I do volunteer a lot. I don't 
always, I, I don't think I've ever phrased it as, oh, I'm a big proponent of volunteering. <laughs> I read it everywhere. <laughs> But clearly I volunteer a lot. <laughs> um, I, I, I honestly don't remember the very first time that I volunteered, although I, I know it has been in my family. I remember my dad volunteering to coach soccer when my sister and I were little and he had never played. He didn't know anything about it. He literally had to go to the library and check out a book to figure out how to how to play the game. <laughs> But he had already volunteered to coach my sister's soccer team. So uh, so I just it it was what we did. Right. We were part of community. We said yes to things. We volunteered to support other people. It was it was part of being in being in service. And um, as an adult, I I have to evaluate a little bit more carefully how much can I volunteer for because it's too easy for me to say yes. Um, so I really try to now look for where can I contribute something that is uniquely me and and will make a difference in whatever I'm contributing to. During the pandemic, I realized that uh, I had been a member of a network for a number of years called Elevate Network for Professional Women. Um, and they were honestly struggling a bit in the um, early months of the pandemic to figure out how do you create spaces for professional women to connect when you can't gather because all of their their events had been in person as was true for so many of us um and at that point i thought about my own skill set right i i had done a lot online i'd done a lot on zoom i knew it <laughs> better than most people at the beginning of the pandemic um before everybody gathered a zoom account and started meeting virtually um and so so it felt like this is something that I could do that I could give back, right? Um, because I felt like I had gained a lot by being part of this network. I had grown um, in different ways and that this was this was a way I could I could give back to the community to help them during this time. And I started uh, hosting events regularly online for Elevate Network and joined the LA leadership team. Um, and it was it was, Uh, a lovely time to be connecting with people um, differently that way. Uh, but I think what surprised me um, was how much fun this leadership team had together. And this was a group of women from all sorts of different industries, and they had different um, beliefs and practices and experiences. And many of them were, were not used to connecting virtually. Um, and yet, we connected in these really fun ways um and as an example of, of something that i didn't expect i'm usually the the least competitive person in the room but um but at a certain point they uh they had a, a challenge for all of the regions and said you know like can you as a leadership team um you know try and post regularly about about this network, right? Which makes a lot of sense. They were trying to grow the network. Um, and I put this little email out to the the rest of the LA team. And I said, hey, like, I think we could win this. And immediately one of the other um, members of the team was like, yes, let's do it. And so it, it was so like, Funny to me, it was a surprise because I'm usually not, not competitive like that, but there was something about the playfulness of this 
leadership team and the way that we had connected for a few months and probably a little bit of like wanting to get some energy out because we were all cooped up and we needed something to do right uh and and we just encouraged each other on and we totally won the competition <laughs> um, congrats but it was it was really more just I mean, it was so fun to see each other's posts and to encourage and to see others who also were not always competitive jumping in and and saying you know this is something that we can do because we are all enjoying it we enjoy this space together we can laugh together and smile together and even if we are in completely different industries and it's not that we are helping each other with the next promotion we are connecting as women and as professionals and being able to move um to move our our, our work forward hmm. at this point some in our audience might really think, well, but how do I do it? How do I find a community or a volunteer situation where there are people, like-minded people? Yeah. For me, it has been by starting with what I want to do. And if I'm in the spaces where I want to be and connecting with people, then I will see where there is a need for help. So with Elevate, I had joined this network of professional women, I had decided that I liked it and I was going to be there. And then I was able to step into a leadership position. Um, I also will um, will share, like I, I uh, um, volunteer facilitate book discussions for the next Big Idea Club. And that I just, I had just signed up for a book club. I, I was not signing up. I was not looking for volunteer activities, right? But, uh, but again, I, I liked it. I liked the ideas. I liked the people who had posted online. And so when they put out a call and said, Hey, would anybody be willing to facilitate book discussions? I'm like, well, that's something I can do. And this is a, a, a group and an idea that I like. So let me, you know, let me try it. Um, a different example was when I was volunteering for the um, teen abuse prevention program. That one um, was, I, I was not already part of the group. Um, it was uh, organized by the LA Commission on Assaults Against Women, which does tremendous work. I was aware of them, but I had, I, I had never uh, participated in any of their activities or really knew anybody who worked there. Um, but I, at that point, I was just, I was curious. I was looking for other things to do. And I knew that that was in part during the time where I knew I, I wasn't going to be a lifer with the county. And so I was just looking for what other activities might I do. Um, and again, the call was put out there. Um, in this case, it was, it was both a need and a learning opportunity um, because they, they needed people to get trained in going to classrooms and helping young people with this. Um, and and for me being able to being able to serve and learn oh that's a golden combination mm -hmm. yeah so we've spoken about community creativity and now there is a third point that you like to stress on your website mm -hmm. uh, move mm -hmm. with grace it is stillness mm -hmm. so Give me an example of how stillness helps someone trying to figure out what's next. Stillness is what allows us to hear our own voice. 
for me, like the art journaling, you know, uh, those kind of things that that physical movement, even the ripping up paper in part is to get the the other stuff away so that my heart can beat at a normal rate <laughs> instead of that stress anxiety level. Um, and and I can I can listen to myself think. I think some people find it in yoga or with walks or you know playing sports. My earliest memory of finding it was in playing music. I would play the piano. My my mother had us learning from a young age because her mother was a concert pianist. And and being able to just immerse myself in something so completely that all of the chatter in your head you know, just goes away. Like that that was piano for me when I was when I was young. Um, so I find it different ways now, but it it always is that that moment when when you don't have all of the other stuff around and you can um, you can hear yourself think. You teach people that their voice makes a difference. Let's talk a little bit about what a person's voice, what does that mean to someone in the audience? My voice, I wonder, my voice, how do I know what my voice is? Let's talk mm -hmm. about voice. Uh, it's a beautiful question. I think a lot of us uh, don't, don't tap into or listen to our own voice because the voices of society are so loud around us. Um, I think your own voice is where you find contentment. I think your own voice is when you share an idea or a, a request or a question, and it is genuinely you, um, not the expectations of you. Reminds me of what Julia Cameron teaches in The Artist Way. Is that one of the main ways that you find your voice, you start to write? Is that the practical way that you go around, go about finding your voice? At some point, I should read The Artist Way. <laughs> <laughs> I think you already do it, Mary. I'm pretty sure. I have read it. I can tell you. I think you pretty much do the artist way, um, except for the I, whipping paper. Oh, I think. Yeah, I would. I would say for for me, my voice often starts with color, paint, or paper, rather than with words. Um, I eventually mm -hmm. get to words, but words aren't always the first thing that mm -hmm. comes to my comes into my journal and into my head. Okay, I think we are at this time. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you would really want our audience to know, Mary? I, I will say this, just because you are on video, I will um, share. I, 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 and, and you can decide whether this is um, relevant or not my the room that i'm in my my office is actually what my husband and i call my playroom and if you were here you would see is that there is the bookshelf on one side there are two desks facing each other in the middle 
one of them is a, a beautiful like very functional work uh, work desk that my grandfather or my father actually built that has all these cubbies it's the old-fashioned kind so it has all these little cubbies for things and i write there and i set up my computer there on the back side of that is a beautiful craft table that has all sorts of things visible under a glass um, so the drawer, there's a glass tabletop and the drawers underneath are visible. So you can see all of these fun little different things that have, have a, um, creative inspiration and color, paints and gelatos and ribbons and washi tape and all sorts of stuff. Um, and then the wall behind that is a green wall that has one of my mom's beautiful needle points on it. It has some things that I painted on it. It has... Um, my you know other kind of paints and paint brushes and i can from there see one of my father's paintings and so when i come in in the morning to my office to my playroom then i can choose which desk to go to and when i really need inspiration when i am feeling unsettled i am better off if i don't go sit down at the desk with my computer but if i go to the craft table side and I stand up and I and I just play with paper and mess around in a journal or or try a new art supply that I don't know what it's gonna do and have paint leak all over the place. But whatever that is, is usually a much better way for me to start the day if I'm feeling stressed or anxious or just like that I need a little bit more of an inspiration or a, a boost to my energy. And there you go. I think that's a great place to end. Beautiful. That's beautiful ending. Well, Mary, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. It was really a pleasure to be in conversation with both of you. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Mary as much as I did. My biggest takeaway is how much fun it could be to gather books from the library, articles, flip chart pages, yellow legal pads and colored pens and magazines and just play with different ideas about what to do next and how exploring with art supplies helps us access the creative parts of our brain and allows new ideas and solutions to evolve. Also, what a great reminder of how essential it is to ask how you can contribute and help others and how that can result in a job you love and a good paycheck. Yes, and I learned about how transformational journaling can help to find or reclaim your own voice. How writing can be so helpful in processing difficult life events and answer questions, clarify ideas and reduce confusion. And of course, how to keep curious. Ask lots of questions and listen deeply for useful answers. I also love the idea that play can help us be more optimistic in our sometimes difficult journey of inside out career design. Yes, let's play. To learn more about Mary, head to whatsnext.com forward slash seven, where we share the transcripts, links, and more. Again, that's w-h-a-t-s 
N-E-X-T dot com forward slash seven. And if you like what you've heard, share it with someone you care about and subscribe, rate and review our Inside Out Career Design Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. Thanks so much for joining us here today. We'll see you next week for another episode, same time, same place.